Welcome to the Mission Advancement Podcast, where we attempt to address the stigmas around nonprofit fundraising through the lens of the power of relationships. Your mission is worth advancing, and we're here to help you fund your mission for good. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mission Advancement Podcast. My name is Angel DeLeon, and I'm joined today by Lacey Young. Hello, Angel. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. It's a good week. Good week. So, Lacey, I was at the airport uh, recently trying to get back to Dallas. Mm -hmm. uh, Delayed flight. Oh, shocker. As always. Everybody's (laughs) in a panic at the airport. Yep. And uh, I'm making my way to the gate, decide to stop by and get a bottle of water. And there's a family of six, mom, dad, and four little kids. Dad's trying to check out buy some snacks to keep the kids happily fed on the airplane. During the delay, of course. And each of, yes, and each <laughs> of those four children was running around that little store, picking up bags of everything. And oh, dad no. was like, no, not, and he's trying to wrangle these kids and the kids are picking up everything that they wanted. <laughs> and I could see the frustration on dad's face. And it dawned on me that there's a relationship between that and our topic today. Because <laughs> today we're talking about Wrangling Rogue Fundraising. That's so good. Say that three times fast. Wrangling Rogue Fundraising. Wrangling that is tough. Rogue Fundraising. Ooh. It's so, so common and such an important thing for those in this world of fundraising to, to think about carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, this can include uh, a lot of different things. You mm-hmm. know, if we define auxiliary groups, it could be in the, in the context of a school, it could be the booster club, it could be the PTA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the debate team and other nonprofits. It could be groups like the Women's Auxiliary, particular specific giving circles or legacy groups. There's a lot of different ways that groups can qualify for that. But I want to go on the record and say that I'm not anti-auxiliary group fundraising. You heard it first, folks. Yes. Some people feel very strongly. Now, that that could change at some point. (laughs) But today... I'm not anti. Yeah. I think it plays an important role in in nonprofits if we do it well. Right. And if we think about it carefully and plan for the success of it, if it's rogue, it, it can't work. Yeah, rogue auxiliary fundraising is, is kind of scary. But if, if it's working well, like you just said, it can help empower specific programs within an organization. Right. right? There's reasons why there's booster clubs, PTA, those women's groups mm-hmm. or men's groups or what that is is because they – they attract a certain type of donor, right? right. So that's exciting. Um, and they can advocate for financial support of the organization. So that's good. Those yeah. are all positive. Well, and you want those people that are most passionate about those particular programs mm-hmm. to be the loudest, most vocal voices out there right? Uh, advocating for the success of that. Yeah. Uh, the challenge to organizational leaders and, and really to development staff is how do you manage this mm-hmm. so that all the fundraising objectives of the organization are met mm. without compromising what you know what's most important? That's so true. So, so let me ask you this: Why does this even matter? I mm. mean, uh, rhetorically, isn't it easier just to let these groups go do what they're <laughs> going to do and you know hope for the best? What do you think yeah. uh, is important to consider when you're thinking about this? Right. I mean, to going back to your airport story, if if the kids are grabbing a Snickers and it's you know. 8.30 and the flight's delayed, mm-hmm. that sugar rush is going to hit them and then yeah. they're going to crash, right? I so like dad's Snickers. making dad's making a decision about, you know, what everybody should have and whatnot. Now let's look at it in terms of auxiliary groups. That's such a great analogy, Angel. I love it. But it's inefficient. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm going to use probably a lot today. It's yeah. inefficient if everyone 
is trying to out fundraise another. Yeah. This is where we see silos form. Yes. No, that's my donor. No, no, they're an arts donor. They are an arts donor. Oh no, they're a gala donor. They're mine. Right. And it's very specific. So, and, yeah. so in one of these episodes, we talk about culture of philanthropy, mm-hmm. establishing and building a culture of philanthropy. This works directly against that. Yeah. Because it becomes a matter of who has the first conversation with that right. donor. Or who has or, the last conversation. Or who has the last right? conversation with that donor. And you're competing against yourself. Yeah. And it's just not productive. And right. to use your word, it's inefficient. Yeah. And the donor is now forced to decide what's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And they may feel like, oh, God, okay, I can't give to everything, so let me choose this thing. And it's frustrating if they're being asked over and over again for multiple things. And yeah. they don't feel like are you guys even talking to each other? Right. Right? I mean, I think that a donor might think that. They're like, I just got a letter in the mail to give to the athletic thing, and then today I got asked to make a gift to the gala, Mm -hmm. and then now I'm being asked to give my annual fund gift. Are these people talking to each other? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that when when, when we do that, we might be compromising what the goals are of the organization. And so I think making sure that we're um, we're not asking everybody for every single thing and it's not communicated, the inefficiency is going to be because we're not thinking about the donor. Right. Right? And so if we if we aren't thinking about them and we aren't putting them in the center of what that culture of philanthropy mm-hmm. is supposed to look like, then we're going to be – the alignment's not going to be there. Yeah. And, and we may not feel it immediately. We'll probably feel it a little bit later in the year. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned two things there. Yeah. The impact on the organization mm-hmm. – of letting groups go rogue mm-hmm. and the impact on donors. Yep. And both of those matter so much. Yeah. Let's break those down. So okay. I'm, I'm taking notes here. You're, yeah, yeah. you're giving us some good stuff. Start with, let's start with the, the impact to the organization. Yeah. Uh, you said that not coordinating fundraising creates inefficiency and internal competition for mm-hmm. the organization. Elaborate on that a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So imagine you're the CEO, the executive director, or head of school, um, it's pretty frustrating if you learn mm. that um, you know you've been working your team, you've been working on um, cultivating and approaching a donor for a large transformational level gift. Say you're in a campaign, or even if it's just a large annual gift, and you're going to talk to them about a six figure gift, maybe even a seven figure gift. Right. And you find out that someone has gone and asked them for a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, twenty thousand um, dollars, and you didn't even know about it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know that you were going to be asking them for a seven-figure gift down the road. You could be causing so much confusion, not only for your team, because your team's thinking, what is that person doing? What's yeah. going on? But for that donor. Because, again, I mentioned this before, the donor's going to say, what are you guys doing back there at right. the office? Do you right. even know who's it's talking to who? Yeah. It can be very embarrassing. It can also make the donor think, what's the priority? Mm. You know, we, if you're in cultivation, which we want you to be, that donor should be should know all the things that are happening at the organization. Right. Right? And so we want to make sure that um, – if it's, if it's an annual fund gift at a school or if it's some other major initiative, um, let them understand what the importance for everything for the year is. Don't make just one thing seem like it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have donors who give to specific things because they have passions for it, but if that's not included in the context of their whole ask right. when you're donor planning them, then they're going to feel like, you know, what's going on? But more so, it's going to be so frustrating for the organization. Because then what happens? The CEO, head of school, looks to the development director and says, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And then that person has to say, I don't know. And that's usually not a fun conversation. Someone went rogue. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's right. I mean, I think it's, it's hard. It's hard to say, okay, let's get all the different auxiliary group members in to figure out what 
whatever was going on this year. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you got to do it, right? The hard things are hard for a reason, but the easy things are, oh, everybody can just send out a letter. Yeah. But that's not efficient. Right. You know? Yeah. Know. So it's there's hard. an impact to the organization. It's hard. It, it will suffer in it some will. way. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the impact to the donor. Yeah. Uh, because that's very real as well. You touched on that a little bit, but elaborate on that piece because sometimes, you know, we talk a lot about donor centric mm-hmm. giving or donor-centric approaches, Mm -hmm. uh, this would be really the opposite of that. So elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, this is all we talk about admission advancement, right? This is a big passion point for us because we know how important it is for our clients to steward their donors Mm -hmm. and have that relationship with them. And guess what? A savvy donor knows it. Yes. They know if you don't have everything together. Right. Because they know that the gala is in the spring and you're going to be asking for a $10,000 sponsorship and you just asked for a $10,000 something else and they didn't mention the gala at all coming down the pike. And I think that's where we can be just flat out discourteous to our donors. Yeah. It's a strong word, discourteous. <laughs> strong. <laughs> but but strong. you use it for a reason. What's, what are you yeah, thinking yeah. when you say well, that? Well, I mean, I think it's because if we're treating our donors like an ATM machine... <laughs> Yeah. It's not nice. Yeah. Right? Clear is kind. We use that language a lot around here because it is. I like it. If we're clear and we say, here's all the things that are happening this year, and we'd like to know what you want to be a part of, mm-hmm. that's kind. Mm-hmm. But if we're unclear and we got people going rogue and doing this and doing that and saying, okay, well, we'll get $200 out of them here. Or, you know, literally, if we're thinking of an ATM machine and we think we can only take out $5,000 at a time, right? then we'll only ask them for $5,000 at a time five times a year. Well, what would it look like if you asked them? for $25,000 at the beginning of the year. And you said, here's all the things that you typically give to. I love that idea. And here is what, of course, you can have your table at the gala. Mm-hmm. Of course, your name is going to be on the the giving group because you gave $5,000 to X, Y, or Z. Right. But if we're not thoughtful about how we do that, that donor, they're going to feel like we're treating them like the ATM machine. We're nickel and diming them. And that's not what we want. Right. We don't want that at all. That could be the... The main takeaway today yeah. is what if it, what if it was one ask? Right. That's genius. I, I mean, w- when we do that with clients and we say that, they're like mind blown. They're like, well, but that's a gala donor. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. Give them a table. They just gave you twenty thousand dollars. Right. They can have their seats, or or even if it's more than that, if it's you know they give to booster, they give to arts, they give to this, they give to that, an annual fund. Well, why don't you have representatives from all those people in the same meeting? Mm-hmm. So that they can all talk about it. We love that you love our organization so much that you're giving to five different things. Yeah. Let's look at the whole year. And if you say, hey, I'd love for you to come to me every month and ask me for something, then that's great. We'll put that in your donor plan, and we know that's how you like mm-hmm. to be asked. But most donors, again, savvy donors, they're going to see that you don't have your stuff together. Right. And it might be embarrassing for you guys, but it's going to be embarrassing for the donor, and then they may walk yeah, away. Right. So, I mean, I know that there are some control around how we can do this. We talked about it in a school. Um, what are some takeaways or suggestions that you would give our listeners on how to wrangle groups, be it a school, be it a nonprofit organization, um, when people start to go rogue? Yeah. So let me soften the word wrangle a little bit, uh, but maybe it's more coordinate. There we go. That sounds uh, I know better. where we're headed. Yeah. Uh, but these groups are well-meaning. They're wonderful people. They have good intentions. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to coordinate the efforts for the sake of the organization, the yes. sake of the donor, and honestly, for the sake of those that are asking. Right. Because we want them to succeed. Right. I think one of the things that is really important is as nonprofit leaders to communicate the philosophy behind fundraising mm. to everyone in the organization. So true. Help them understand 
just the things that we're talking about today, that it's not just about raising money. It's a, that's a sprint. We're looking at the marathon. How does this feel to the donor and how does it impact the mm-hmm. organization? The second thing, and this is tough, and I'll acknowledge this is not easy, to the extent that you can, bring all of your auxiliary fundraising under the umbrella of your development office. Oh, say it again. Did everyone hear that? Bring everyone under the umbrella of the development office. And that's not easy to do, but I tell you, once you do it, it will be a game changer. Mm. Because what it allows your development office to do is to control the tone of what it looks like, the pace. So great. So, you know, think about having a blackout calendar mm. where no one is permitted to do fundraising mm-hmm. because there's an organization-wide effort that right. we're trying to, to boost. Mm-hmm. That's so smart. I love you that. You can do fundraising, but you can do it during these periods mm-hmm. of time. Yeah, I think that, that's so smart. That allows the organization to win and not be compromised. The yeah. priorities are met. And it also takes the donor from a schizophrenic scenario where they're trying to guess what's most important to a we're clearly communicating again i love what you just said clear is kind that matters to a donor Well, also if everything's important nothing's important that's right exactly (laughs) right so i think you said this before of the donor can win but also the organization can win we talk about this a lot when we talk about you know the art of transformational giving like Mm -hmm. going from that transaction to transformational it's actually a win-win-win the donor is going to win because we're treating them kind the organization is going to win because we understand what's happening. There's a coordinated effort. And the mission is going to win because we're doing it in a way that is kind to both the donor, the organization, and we're going to see transformation happen. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And and I would say there's I would say one more takeaway, and that would be um, develop a formal approval process. Mm, that's so smart. Again, if you bring this under your the umbrella of development, have a formal process where every auxiliary group is required to fill out a brief form. What are we raising money for? When are we doing it? What do we hope to raise? What tactics are we implementing? It allows the development office then to say, listen, this might not align philosophically with how we feel fundraising should happen, how we should feel for our donors. What if you consider doing this way? But I think one of the things too that it does is it helps those auxiliary groups maximize fundraising because the development office does this every day. Mm-hmm. And there's certain best practices that they can bring mm-hmm. to the table for these auxiliary groups, which are often you know, uh, people that are teaching classes or mm-hmm. they're running other pieces of the operation of a nonprofit. They're not fundraisers. Mm-hmm. They can benefit from the expertise of the, fund, of the development team. So I think that's a mm, value that's really in having a process of approving what those fundraisers look like, mm-hmm. again, to protect the donor yep. and to protect the organization. Yeah, I love it. That's so great. Well, thanks, Angel, um, for today. You guys, as you are wrangling or coordinating your auxiliary groups, make sure that you're putting your mission at the beginning. That's what matters. Make all of these asks mission-centric and know that we are here to help you find your mission for good. Bye now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Mission Advancement Podcast. Be sure to check out our website at missionadvancement.com for additional content. And never forget that your hard work in nonprofit is changing lives every day. Keep funding your missions for good. We'll see you next time.